Again, I'm a chief for Matthew Stafford, and, uh, and people, can, people can jump all over my lines. So I'm just going to tell you, since 1957, we have yet to lose a championship in the NFL. So, <laughs> just saying, we've been hanging on for dear life. So, if you have your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 3. We are in a series called Dear Church. Um, and what I'm going to do is, so I don't step on this phone. Somebody left the phone here that I'm going to eBay later. Um, just kidding. Uh, I don't want to step on that and uh, break something and owe somebody a screen. But go to Revelation 3. We've been going through a vision series at K-First. And I'm telling you what, the word that my wife and I have been utilizing... Uh, since the new year, it's been the word shift. We did a series called Shift last year, and uh, I, I, honestly, I look back, I'm like, maybe that was a prophetic word for us. But there's something about this new year that God has just begun to shift something within our church body um, that I, th I think it, we've really looked at 2020 as the, the day of, of the Friday crucifixion. 2021, it was the Saturday in between, wondering, will God be faithful? And we've just seen resurrection life hit people, hit in, individuals, hit men marriages this year, and so we are soaked about what God is doing. If you missed last week, um, I, I promise you, I don't say this every week, but you need to listen to last week um, and hear our heart regarding deconstruction. If you don't know what it is, listen to last week. If you know what it is, you really need to listen to last week. And it has been a week of just uh, messages, emails, people that are working through everything from questions, doubts, church hurt, um, ideas, opportunities, and most of them just testimonies of what God has been doing to reconstruct um, just the kingdom in lives. And so I'm stoked that you're here. I'm excited that you are a part of what is going on. Um, it was eons ago. I mean, I had a reputation in our house for for eating cereal in the dark. And that sounds maybe silly or weird, uh, but my mom, would, she still talks about to this day, she would wake up and she would walk in the kitchen trying to be quiet, didn't want to wake any of the kids up, and she'd turn on the light and I would be in there eating Rice Krispies in the darkness and she would jump and she'd scream at me and like, why don't you turn on any lights? I'm like, I don't need any lights. Um, and if you've ever come to me in my office during the day, I don't really have lights on in my office. I would make a great vampire. Uh, I just... My, light, my blinds are pulled, no sunlight, no lights, and, and some of you are already thinking things about me right now, and they're probably true. So I like the darkness, and I don't need darkness. All I need to do is go, I know where the cereal is, I know where the milk is, and then I know that I can just put heaping bowls of sugar on my cereal. And the only way to eat cereal is that when you scoop your spoon at the bottom of the bowl, that you get up layers of sugar along with your cereal. I got people nodding their head, revivals breaking out in people's hearts right now. So, I remember uh, one of my earliest memories, we were in Montreal for a family reunion, and I woke up, as I always do, wake up before everybody, I'm going to go get myself a bowl of cereal, and Grandma Honey, that was my great-grandma, uh, Grandma Honey had, um, what do you call it, uh, Raisin Bran. Like, I wasn't used to Raisin Bran, that was upscale, my parents only bought... Um, Cheerios and Rice Krispies, I know. Oh, what a horrible upbringing that I had. And so, but man, there's Raisin Bran. It's sugary, it helps me go to the bathroom. This is a great bowl of cereal for the morning. So, I, again, it's all in the darkness. I, I pull my bowl, pour my bowl of cereal. I go over to the the, what do you call it, the refrigerator, and I get out the bag of milk. Yes, bag of milk, because that's how Canadians buy their milk. I snip the little edge, pour my milk, I get the sugar bowl, and I'm pouring my heaping, copious amounts of sugar, and I begin eating. As I'm kind of chomping in the darkness, something hits me that something just isn't right. 
and I don't know what's not right. So I, how many of you know, instead of turning on lights, you just, people like me, people like you, you just keep eating. Something's off, something's wrong, but let me just keep eating so I can figure it out. And after, I don't know how many spoonfuls of my raisin bran, I, I like, I, something's off. So I go over and I sniff the milk. The milk is fine. I go and I take some out of the raisin bran box. Everything is fine. And then I turn on the lights. I look and it says sugar on it. And I taste it and I realize that my grandma honey puts salt in the sugar bowl. That's her pinch bowl for when she cooks. The sugar bowl is her salt pinch bowl. And I'm like, Grandma, honey, where do you keep the sugar? Oh, we keep those in sugar packets. I'm like, who keeps sugar packets in their kitchen? Apparently French Canadians do. But I'm, I remember just racking my brain. I just couldn't understand it. I was like seven or eight. And I'm like, why in the world, when the label says sugar, why isn't what's in the bowl what is labeled? This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject that the reputation, the label, should match what's on the inside. What the label says should be what you find on the inside. And now we've been going through Revelation 2 and 3, looking at the different churches in the book of Revelation, and we get to Revelation chapter 3, and we get to the church in Sardis. The church is Sardis, uh, the city itself was a place in central West Central Asia Minor, capital of the ancient kingdom, kingdom of Lydia, wealthy, important commercial trading. This is where gold and silver coins were minted. This is where it was a military city located on a cliff, known for its temple worship to Artemis, that still you can find the ruins today. But the problem with, it, with the area was not, uh, the church itself, was not necessarily that it was located near a pagan temple, but the problem is, is that they said they were a church, they said they were the light, but what you got on the inside was drastically different from the sign that you saw on the outside. They had a reputation for being Christ-centered, being a light in the darkness, but when you went on the inside, you discovered something differently. So if we look here, Revelation chapter three, starting at verse one, says the angel to the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the, here it is, the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Can I just say, of all the things I want to hear from Jesus, that's one of the last things I think I would want to hear from him. Then it says, wake up and strengthen what remains and, it's, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in, my, in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it, repent, and if you wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, meet us here today. Impact our hearts, impact our lives and Lord, I pray that it would be said of K-First, it would be said of us as individuals that our label was more than just a name that we carry, but Lord, that it'd be consistent with what is on the inside of our lives. I pray that, Lord, when people show up the Kalamazoo First Assembly of God, that they would see more than just the title, a connection to a denomination, but Lord, they would look deep down and realize that we are not here to represent anything other than Jesus himself that they would come to the assembly of God to literally meet and find God himself. So Holy Spirit, manifest yourself 
here in this place in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to walk away from this place the same, uh, differently from the way that we walked in. Change us and challenge us, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is confronting this church in Sardis, and he says that your reputation is you are alive. But if you show up, you check out what's going on, and you realize you're not alive, you're dead. The reality of the church did not match the reputation. Their practice did not match their tagline. I don't know if you've ever gone to a business and you saw the tagline, and what you experienced in that business was not exactly what the tagline said. Here at K-First, we say we want to make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. In other words, we want to make it plain as day. This is who Jesus is, and here's how to follow Jesus. And it is my prayer that we would never... Never stray away from that which we are all about, which is about the kingdom of God and, his, and name, the name of Jesus made famous on every lip and every tongue in the, in the city and the area of Kalamazoo. We want to be about Jesus. And here, this church in Sardis, they had the name, they had the website, they had the blogs, man, they had everything that was going for them. They had maybe the best of the best sound systems, which I know this was ancient times. They had all of the bells and whistles, but how many of you know that you can have all of the flash, but you can have no substance? This world doesn't need more flash from the church. The world needs substance. The work, listen, I'm all about, I'm all about the, the bells and the whistles of what's on the stage. I love lighting, and I love keyboards, and I love guitars, I love the drums. Man, I love the bass guitar like crazy. I love instruments, man. I love turning down the lights and just getting into an intimate atmosphere. But the kingdom of God is not about the instruments. The kingdom of God is not about the flash. The kingdom of God is not about somebody who can maybe speak well or or, or lend to a topic at hand. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus himself, and we want to be about the Father's business. And God forgive us, the American church, when we have rallied to flash and we have shown no substance. This church in Sardis, they lacked, they had everything but the presence of God. And the church in Sardis is proof that it only takes one generation to destroy a church. One generation to remove the presence of God from a church where the church no longer is a living entity that breathes and operates in such a way in order to bless a community with the kingdom, with the love of Jesus, to impact them with, with healing presence, to impact them with generosity and love. It only takes one generation to remove all of that and to make the church something it is not. It's in a place where we begin to serve religion versus having a relationship with Jesus. And Sardis is the example that dead faith is lip service without lifestyle. It is profession without practice. Sardis is proof that you can say what you want to say from a platform, but the proof is not in what you preach. The proof is what you live after you're done preaching. The proof of what we do is more than showing up. And we love when people lift their hands. We love if people dance before the Lord. I love watching people just come to the front and kneel before the Lord. I love that. But what's the use of doing all of that if we refuse to live it outside in this world? The world doesn't need a name of a church. They need the church being the church wherever we go. We've got to have a reputation match the label that we wear. That's why I'm challenging our church that we will be a Bible-centered, spirit-empowered church that will be known for matching what we say with what we actually do. That's who we are. That's what we will be. So the question is, have you ever joined something because of a reputation? 
Have you ever joined a gym because of a reputation? Joined a, a weight loss program because of reputation? How many of you, maybe you showed up to a, uh, maybe a restaurant because of a reputation and what you experienced was actually the polar opposite of what you actually experienced. At K-First, we've got a reason for being here. We want to make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. And so I just wrote down five things I want to make sure that we never lose track of in terms of here at K-First. We have a reason for being. We're people of worship. We believe in worship. And we worship only one person, one person, and his name is Jesus, that we are about directing people's minds, attention, and heart's affection toward Jesus. We will not apologize for worshiping. We will not apologize, let's just say it this way, for just worshiping our butts off, for just getting silly and just unloading our hearts before the Lord because he's worthy of praise. Tonight, we're gonna watch two teams battle it out. Thousands of people show up, people painting their bodies, spending thousands of dollars to go see two teams play in a Super Bowl, but, and, but for some reason we come to church and then we stand and we don't express ourselves. And if you're not an expressive person, well, that's fine with me. It's not about getting you to express something how somebody else expresses. To me, it's all about letting that heart begin to express itself before the Lord. It's all about allowing our lives to begin to just pour them itself out before Jesus himself. And my concern is this in the modern church, is that the modern church worship, because this is a day that we've seen worship available like no other day in the church. We've got amazing worship bands that I'm telling you what, I listen to all week long and, long and I love. Maverick City, I went to a Maverick City uh, worship night a couple months back and I'm telling you what, one of the best uh, worship nights I've ever been into in my life. I love Maverick City, I love Elevation, I love Hillsong, I love all of that. But one of my issues with today's day and age is that I am worried that we are gonna turn worship into nothing more than Christian music that we listen to in the background. And when it comes to K-First, we're not here to entertain you to get you ready to hear the sermon. Listen, the point of being here is not for you to listen to me flap my yap for 20, 30 minutes. The point is for us to come together and to do exactly what we were made to do. It's lift the name of Jesus, to worship him and him alone. At the end of the service, we're gonna do something we haven't done in a long time, is I'm gonna invite every person to the altar. If you, don't, if you wanna stay in your seat, more power to you. There's no judgment here in this place. If you're feeling judgment, I promise you, it's not coming from anybody in this room. But we're gonna invite you forward and we're just gonna worship together just for a song at the altar and come together and exalt the Lord himself. Let me challenge you, don't ever allow human, the human performance of worship to ever eclipse the glory of God. Don't ever allow ever allow the idea of human performance and the style that we're doing or the, or the instruments that we're using. Don't ever allow performance to ever dictate or eclipse what God is wanting to do in your life. We're about worship. Secondly, we're about evangelism. We believe in evangelism, and what does that mean? It means reaching the lost. Let me say this, I love apologetics, but I don't necessarily believe that apologetics is just by itself just evangelism. I believe in social action, but I don't believe that's necessarily just evangelism. Political involvement, should you be involved? Be involved politically. I encourage you to be involved politically. Just, just act, act normal when you do it. 
But that in and of itself is not necessarily evangelism. Evangelism is presenting the gospel so that people can see, understand, and be invited to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe our lives should be missional. That mission trips should not be something that we save up to do once a year or once every two years, but when we leave our house, when we leave the church, you and I are on mission to the world around us. Well, pastor, I don't know any unsaved people. I'm just gonna tell you, you need to make some friends you need to get to know people and why because they need to see the beauty of Jesus in your life we're going to be about discipleship we believe in discipleship that we will never grow at the expense of discipleship the New Testament church they grew in numbers and that's wonderful I love numbers I love the growing numbers but let me tell you this they didn't just grow wide they grew deep y'all remember that song in Sunday school deep and wide deep and wide there's a fountain flowing Deep and wide, I almost did the wrong thing. Some of y'all think I'm nuts right now. Others of you are blessed. You're like, we should do that on Sunday mornings. No, we're not doing that. But God has called us to grow deep and wide, which means that when you put your faith in Jesus, we don't want you to stay in that spot. Last week we talked about three stages, and some of us, we've lived for 20 years in stage one. We're still baby Christians. We're just 20-year-old baby Christians. We need to start growing deep. This is why we're offering tables. In fact, we, my goal this year, let me pull back the curtain a little bit. My goal this year, because I have struggled for 13 years, 13 years, wow, and two days will be the 12th, 13th anniversary of the nuts membership of this church voting me in as their pastor. Y'all have been insane for doing that. It's great. In fact, my favorite, my favorite question on that evening before the people voted, because they did like this big Q&A, one of the big questions was, do I like fried chicken? I'm like, this is going to be an easy church to pastor if that's the biggest question. And I was like, that was the first question. But I want you to wrap your head around this, that when it comes to discipleship, we have struggled for years getting groups started. That has been one of the biggest struggles since getting groups started. And so this year, I just told the staff, my goal is four, secretly six groups that will potentially start, six tables that will begin in March. Pastor Kevin is doing an orientation for people who are interested in starting a table. Do you know how many he has signed up today? There are 17 tables that are going to be trained today to help people to connect in the relationship with each other and to connect with the relationship with God. And thank you for the 15 people that clap for that. That's awesome. We're gonna be about generosity. What do I mean by generosity? I believe in tithing, I tithe. I believe in giving emissions, I give above my tithe emissions. And why do I use generosity rather than just simply giving? Because the word generosity means to give above what is expected and we give account for every dollar that comes into this place with the ultimate goal my goal has been to lead this church in a place where we are literally tithing from the tithe to missions my goal is that every dollar that every from every dollar that comes into this church that at least 10 cents of it is spent toward local or or foreign outreach and pastor marty says we are almost at that goal right now Oh, I want you to be a giver. I want you to be pouring into the kingdom. It's not for salaries per se. It's not to just keep buildings open. And yeah, that's all part of it. But I'm here to say, because when you give, you transform lives. You transform hearts. 
When you give, you enable kids ministry. When you give, you enable youth ministry. You, you, enable, our, you enable our pantry. You enable missionaries. I got a call uh, two weeks ago from a former student of mine, the mo- one of the most introverted kids that I knew from youth group. I remember talking with him and he shared with me this idea. He's like, I believe God's gonna have me be a meteorologist. I'm like, I'm like Matt, that's awesome. But you don't like talking to people. He goes, I, God's gonna have to make it happen. And all of a sudden I get this phone call and he's like, listen, you challenged me for years as a teenager to follow the Lord and I'm here to tell you that I've been accepted as a foreign missionary and I look into, wonder if K-First would be interested in supporting. I said, listen, before you even tell me, we're going to support you. And he goes, you don't even know where I'm going yet. I said, it doesn't matter at this point. But he's going to Estonia and he's going to go help a church plant go for two years of his life. Why? Because God takes that which we give and he multiplies it in souls and lives here in Kalamazoo and around the world. Should you be a giver? You better be a giver. We're givers. We're tithers. We give the missions. You ought to do it. Why? Because it's about the kingdom of God. And if Jesus is coming back, then dang it, we're going to take every lick of ground the enemy has tried to take and we're going to claim it back in the name of Jesus and turn the Kalamazoo area around in revival toward Jesus Christ himself. We're going to be about compassion because I pray that we will see people like Jesus sees people. And I pray that we will respond to people like Jesus responds. I posted something like that on social media yesterday. And the most common thing written under there, there is, that's true, Pastor. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Honestly, I can't stand that statement. Know what I like? Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Love the sinner, look at your own life and realize you need Jesus as much as everybody else does. And live in such a way where we are humble before God and we look at our life and we are humble to think, what will we be without Jesus Christ? And if we could see that, then we could see other people and say, they need to know the same Jesus that we need to know. We can't be Sardis. So how do we fix all of this? How do we fix the whole Sardis situation? I'm glad you asked me that question. Look at the scripture. Verse 2. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. It simply says, wake up and strengthen what remains. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, write in your Bible, circle the words, wake up. Wake up. Touch your neighbor who's sleeping right now. Tell him, wake up. Anybody in here, you actually like an alarm clock? Anybody, you love your alarm clock when it goes up? I've got a couple of people lying at me. Put those hands. You don't. Nobody likes their alarm clock. Nobody likes the sound. I'm thankful my, my wife on Sundays will set the alarm. Uh, sorry, Tuesdays and Sundays she sets the alarm. And it's like that. It's like a little heart playing in the background. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a woman of wisdom that doesn't have like a duck quacking or something abrupt that just literally shakes the foundations of your sleep mode in the morning. But... Every one of us, we have a way that we wake up. In fact, my neighbor in, in Bible college, his name was Brian, lived on the other side of the wall, and he had trouble waking up in the morning, so his goal, I remember him telling me, he's like, Bear, this is what I'm gonna do. Instead of being late to class I'm go- and, and like hitting the snooze, I'm gonna put my alarm across the room, and that way I have to get up out of bed and go shut off the alarm. See, Brian had a good idea, but Brian forgot that the alarm doesn't wake him up. And right on the other side of the wall from where his alarm clock is, is my head. And so I remember the thing going off and I could feel it pulsating in my brain. And then I call his room and I can hear not only his alarm going off, I can hear the phone going off and nobody is waking. I'm like, where's Brian's roommate? Who are these people? So I go pound on his door. Nobody's waking up. I am like furious. Some of us, 
We've gotten to this place where we have kind of been lulled asleep and we need to be woken up. Nobody likes alarms, but alarms are needed. And if I can look at the past two years of what our nation has gone through and what the church has gone through, I'm here to say, as much as I have not liked any of it, I'm here to say it's been one of the greatest wake-up calls that we've ever had and perhaps one of the biggest wake-up calls the church has ever needed. Why? Because what happened these past two years, it has shown us where has been our faith and what has been our foundation. Where has our faith have been? Was our faith in government? Was our faith in our financial portfolio? Was our faith in our job? Was our faith in the economy? Was the foundation of our joy our marriages? I had people contact me throughout the pandemic saying, Pastor Dave, we got to meet over Zoom. Our marriage is falling apart. I'm like, why? All these new problems came up. And I'm like, no new problems came up. It's just now that you have to pay attention to them because you're stuck in the house all day together. They've always been there. But these things happen as a wake-up call. Jesus is telling them, wake up. The other things that you guys were maybe centered around, it's time to wake up. Stop hitting the snooze button. Any professional snooze people in the house? Oh, man, back in high school, I'd hit the snooze button, and then I'd wake up realizing I had 10 minutes to get to the bus stop, so I'd, I'd sniff a pair of shorts, throw those on, throw on a hat. Y'all did that too. Don't look at me like that run out and, and go, to the, go to the bus stop, get picked up, go to school, come back home, finally shower at that point. Yes, it's all disgusting. It's just who I was. But we keep hitting the snooze button. And for some of us, you're still hitting the snooze button. And nobody keeps saying, you hit the snooze button. Till, you know I, I, I'll get engaged once we get back to normal. I'll get engaged once things begin to settle down. I'll get engaged once things go back to, to ways or times when I feel a little bit more comfortable. But we keep hitting the snooze button, waiting for a moment to happen that invites us back to a normal that we used to know. But I love the word out of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, and even Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 3, where Jesus Sorry, God is speaking to the people of Israel and he tells them this. You have lingered in this land long enough. It's time to move forward. Jesus has given us an alarm and we need to stop putting Jesus on hold. Stop putting Jesus on hold in your life. Stop waiting for a new normal or an old normal to come back. Can we stop waiting for what normal is supposed to come? And how about we start creating the new normal for our lives? That the way that we live, the way that we operate, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we have the kingdom of God pouring from our life, the way we love each other, the way we forgive each other. Let's begin to establish something new in our life. Stop in the snooze, it's time to wake up and begin to embrace this season for what it could be. Let's embrace the season for what it could be. Well, what can it be? I'm not going to tell you. Move forward and let God begin to reveal it to you, which takes me to number two. So number one, wake up. Number two, remember. Remember, verse three simply says this. Remember what you have received and what you, what's, look at that word, heard. Remember what you have received. One translation says what you saw and heard. Remember. Back in, back in the day, I still don't know what that really means, but back in the day, I remember our teachers in elementary school would do certain games. Whenever they finished kind of their lessons and were waiting for the, you know, be released for the buses, we would play 7-Up. Anybody remember 7-Up? Oh, man, look at that. We got people having revival just from 7-Up. Um, the other was playing telephone. Remember telephone? Teacher would have us sit in a big circle 
and she would whisper something in one student's ear, and she says, you get one chance to whisper it in the next person, and then it would go all around the circle, and we would laugh by the time it got to the last person, because by the time it got to that last person, it would be nothing close to what the teacher actually whispered. Somewhere along the line, the story would get changed, and I will tell you who changed it. It was Jason Hawks, because Jason was next to me. He was the boy that lived down the street from me, the first boy I ever met in kindergarten, because someone would whisper in Jason's ear, he would go into my ear and go, no articulated words whatsoever, and I would have to make something up. And then I got the blame, of course. That's, that's where it all transpired. The game of telephone, in my opinion, is what has truly happened to the gospel. Telephone is what's happened to the gospel. Somewhere along the line, the gospel has been changed to be something it is not. If you don't know what it's been changed to, go find your non-Christian friend, and you ask him or her, what do you think the message of the church is? Embrace yourself, gird your loins for what you're about to hear. If you don't have any non-Christian friends, you come climbing with me, I will introduce you to a bunch of them and they will answer the question for you. And they may use a few words that you may not like. <laughs> Why has this happened? It's because we, the church, perhaps, we have forgotten what the gospel is all about. What does the word gospel mean? Anybody know? Good news. It is the good news of the hope of Jesus. But somewhere along the line, telephone has happened to the gospel. And all of a sudden, God only loves the lovable. Or God only does good for those who are good. Or Jesus was sent just to help us behave. Or if we follow rules, then God will finally love us. Or if you give enough in the offering, then God will bless you. Somewhere along, the gospel got manipulated through telephone. Instead of us getting back to the basics of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And Jesus is calling a timeout to the church of Sardis. He says this, stop and remember. Stop to remember the, the message that you first heard. And let me ask you a question today. And I was tearing up, going over my notes today, just tearing up at this. Because I look at my notes and it just simply says this. What did God whisper you when you first put your faith in him? What did the spirit of God whisper when you put your first put your faith in Jesus? Was it this? You're loved. For some of you, you're valuable. You're not too broken. I can heal that. I can put that back together. You're not overshadowed. You don't have to be overwhelmed. Give it to me. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Do you remember what the Spirit of God first whispered in your heart? When I was 16 and on my face in a youth group just crying out to God, I remember just hearing God say, if you give it to me, I'll take care of you. Because I had so much hatred and bitterness in my heart. And some of us have just simply forgotten what the message of the gospel is. Because religion will tell you, you have to climb up to get to him. But Jesus says, I came to find you. Religion says, what telephone has said, you've got to work, you've got to give enough in the offering, you've got to get enough favor, and then maybe perhaps God will like you. But Jesus is like, listen, the message is this, you didn't have to come to find me, you couldn't even find your keys this morning. 
Jesus said, I came to find you. For God so loved the world that he gave. Scripture says, at the right time, Christ came and died for us. We couldn't even put anything back together and Jesus came to us, the gospel. And Jesus is saying, remember what you saw. Remember what you heard. And the reason why maybe we've messed up this, this, with this game of telephone is we've just simply forgotten the basics of who Jesus is and what he did in our life. And I'm convinced if we could just retaste the grace of Jesus Christ, that we can remember what he whispered. We can remember what he did and we'll remember what he has sent us here to do in this world. And lastly, number three, I gotta wrap up. So worship band, would you come? Give me a hand here. Last word we get to, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful word, and it's the word repent. Revelation 3, 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. I love talking about repentance. I feel like I've been talking about it a lot these past few months. I've been reading on it a lot in the book of uh, Acts as I'm doing my own devotions and I keep seeing over and over and over and over this word repent. And it's so misunderstood. It's a tough word. It's a heavy word. It is a finger pointing word. But let me tell you this. The finger pointing of repentance is not from the preacher. The finger pointing is Jesus. And what I love about the finger-pointing Jesus is when you understand the Jesus that I understand and you understand the Jesus of the Scripture, when you know who is speaking about repentance and what you get for repentance, you begin to understand that repentance is not a judgy religious word, but it is one of the most life-giving words you can ever utter, speak about, think about, or engage with. It's repentance. It's turning around. Repentance. Whenever we're on a trip, the first thing I do when I, whenever I travel anywhere is I pull up Google Maps because I believe that uh, part of the curse of humanity is Apple Maps. So I don't use Apple Maps whatsoever. I love Google Maps. And one thing that we will, as we're driving through and we're hearing the directions, all of a sudden we will hear something from Google and Google will say, there is an accident ahead. Do you want to take the alternate route? And the problem is, is as I'm driving and I'm looking forward as far as I can see, I look and I will say the words out loud, it doesn't look that bad. Maybe it's cleared up, for which I've got the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of me and next to me, namely my wife, who says, don't doubt Google. Listen to her. Notice, she made Google a female. Listen to her. No, 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 it looks like it's cleared up and all of a sudden we're sitting in still traffic and she's, not, she's on her phone, she's doing whatever and she's like, you should have listened to Google. The idea is this, Google knows my destination and what's nice about Google, it also usually knows the best path to get to that destination. And when I think about repentance, repentance it's more than being sorry for your sins. It's Jesus telling you to turn around and it's then you listening to him. That's simple repentance. 
It's Jesus who knows your destination and he knows the best way to get it, get to it. And so when we put our focus in Jesus, repentance is just simply this. It's turning around. It's him telling us to turn around and you listening. Repentance. I want to go my own way, but I'm stopping because I've heard the voice of the Lord in my life and he's telling me to turn and I'm actually listening to him and I'm going the direction he wants me to go. And I love this. Verse 4, what do you get? What do you get if you have woken up? What do you get if you remember? What do you get if you repent? This is awesome. He says, I will dress you in white. And that's beautiful symbolism because in that day, it was people who were victorious. It was victorious politicians. It was victorious warriors that would dress in white and they would parade through the streets. And Jesus says this, the promise is, is that you're no longer going to be tainted by sin, but you're going to be clean, standing, victorious. All the stains wiped clean. And he says, your name will be in the book of life. The book of life. If you study the scripture, there's not a ton, ton stuff written on the book of life, but this is one thing that I know. is number one, you're going to want your name in the book of life. And number two, that faith plays a role in getting your name in that book. What is that book of life? It's when we stand before the Lord and he's looking for the names of those that are going to be entering in. And listen, what, what's going to get you in is not who you know. It's who you are. It's that faith in Jesus. See, I went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, and that's actually the headquarters, the worldwide headquarters for the Assemblies of God for which our church is a part of. And whenever my friends and I went to a busy restaurant, what we would do is we would, they would say, okay, how big's your party? Party of eight, what's your name? We would give them the name of one of the executives of the Assemblies of God. <laughs> what's your name? Uh, put down Trask. He was the general superintendent over all of the Assemblies of God. Uh, Crabtree, general uh, assistant superintendent. We would, we would give those names. I'll be honest, not once did it get us a table any quicker than we want, but what we loved when they would say, Trask, party of eight, everybody in the restaurant would look over and they're like, who are these hoodlums walking through the restaurant and it's just us sitting there and people walk, do you know Tom Trask? I'm like, oh, absolutely, he's my bro. And they're like, bro? Love Tom, Tom's a friend of mine actually. I love Tom, love him so much. But what gets us into heaven is not who we know. What's going to get us into heaven, what Jesus is saying, what gets you in? It's not walking up saying, I go to Pastor Dave's church for what Jesus is going to tell you. It's not, it wasn't his church to begin with. What gets you in is not the name of your parents. I'm Helena's son. That's not what gets us in. What gets us in is the name. It's our name that's not written down with ink, but I believe it's written down with blood blood that came from a cross that saved and redeemed and when we put our faith in Jesus when you put your faith in Jesus last week two people gave their lives to Jesus you know what I believe that, that happened that morning in my mind's eye I see a, a quill dipped and all of a sudden written in red were two brand new names of people in the book of life and that's why we're gonna pillage this area of Kalamazoo for the sake of the gospel we are gonna steal back every name every heart that the enemy has laid claim to and we are going to see God revive people's hearts 
I'm asking that God would baptize us in a spirit of evangelism with hearts of worship. People that will go after the disciple, that we will walk in generosity and compassion will flow. Why? Because we want to be a church where the reputation is matching the label. I don't want to be the Sardis church. I don't want to be just that church on the corner of the freeway or you're at that church. I remember when I, remember when I first showed up to K-First 13 years ago. You're the church that used to have the school. You're the church that used to do this. You're the church that had this. You're the church where that pastor was at. You're the church where Pastor Pace or Pastor D or Pastor Macklin. I, I didn't want to be the, the reputation of what we had been. I wanted to be the church that says, look what God has been doing, what has been happening, and now I need to be a part of that. I want to be the church where nobody knows the name of the pastor. I want to be the church where nobody... The, Nobody necessarily knows that we're part of a denomination. I want to be the church that is known because we have woken up and we have remembered and we've engaged in what Jesus has been doing. So when people hear the name of Kafers, all they know is Jesus is up to something at 5550 Oakland Drive. Regardless of what joker is in this pulpit, I want to be about that. And so today we are going to extol the name that is above every other name. We're going to lift high the name of Jesus.